Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I will take an unusual approach today. I will first share with you an amusing story that was sent to me some time ago. Once we get past the humor, there's a spiritual analogy I'd like to share. First, the story. A young couple moved into a new neighborhood. The next morning, while they were eating breakfast, the young woman saw her neighbor hanging the wash outside. That laundry is not very clean, she said. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Well, her husband looked on but remained silent. Every time her neighbor would hang her wash out to dry, the young woman would make these same comments. About a month later, the woman was surprised to see a nice clean wash on the line and said to her husband, Look, she's finally learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her this. Whereupon the husband said, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. And so it is with life. Although we don't probably hang wash out so often these days, I think you see the message. What we see when watching others depends on the purity of the windows through which we look. Do you see that analogy that I'm thinking of? A first song call. I want Jesus in my life more than anything this world can offer me. For I know that He alone can satisfy just to know. Take the 
In that amusing story, the wife accused her neighbor with not being able to properly wash her clothes because she was looking through dirty windows, which affected what she saw. The perceived dirt and grime was suddenly gone when the husband had washed the windows and she was looking out through clean and spotless windows. Remember the Lord rebuked his followers, telling them to remove the huge boulder from their own eyes before they took it upon themselves to judge others others who perhaps had lesser impediments in their own eyes than they themselves had. Be sure that your own life is pure and clean and faultless before you dare to criticize and find fault in another person. You're a hypocrite to do so. Trouble is, there are so many people around us who fail to see the stark reality, the truth that they have issues and problems and faults of their own. They are blind to this truth refusing to accept or acknowledge their own shortcomings, but ready and willing, sometimes far too willing, to accuse others, to lay blame at their feet, but ignoring their own faults, faults that perhaps are greater than anything that they would have accused their brothers or sisters of having committed. Remember the woman caught in adultery that was brought to Jesus trying to entrap him? Let he that has no sin cast the first stone, Remember this today and in the coming week. Cast that stone at your friend only if you have no sin of your own.
hungry for the blessing, my poor soul, it must be fed. When at last by faith I touched him, and like sparks from smitten steel, so quick salvation reached me. Oh, bless God, I know it's real, but it's real, it's real, oh, I know it's real, praise God, the doubts are settled. Now with his message for today, here's Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings to you in the name of our gloriously risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. According to the traditional church calendar, we have entered the holy season, or as some like to describe it, the season of Christ's passion. It begins with the events leading up to his momentous and ignominious death, followed three days and three nights later by his glorious and magnificent resurrection. My friends, if there were any events that should accurately be termed paradigm-shifting events, they were the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These events radically changed the course of the history of the world forever. But amazingly, as we shall see, God actually views these as one paradoxically but gloriously connected event, 
because in actuality we cannot have one without the other, nor can we have one out of order. That's why I've entitled this short series, Good Friday and Easter. They go together like horse and carriage, and you can't put the one before the other. And so for the next several Lord's Days, I want to look with you at the practical results of these awesome events. In other words, how they impact the daily life of you and I as believers in Christ and trust in his death and resurrection as the basis for our eternal salvation. The Apostle Paul describes for us in detail the significance of these events in the sixth and seventh chapters of his epistle to the Romans. After laying a solid theological foundation, for his explanation in verses 12 through 21 of chapter 5. Now, we will be looking at these passages in the days ahead, during the Passion season and beyond. So I encourage you, if possible, to follow along in your Bible. First, then, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Here, Paul contrasts and compares justification in Christ with the condemnation in Adam. He begins with the contrast in verses 12 to 17. He says, first, that in Adam, man received what he deserved, but in Christ, man received what he did not deserve. Listen to his words, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. That's Jesus Christ. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Secondly, Paul says, Adam's offense brought condemnation, but God's gift of Christ brought justification. Listen to verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgression, resulting in justification. Again, he's saying Adam's offense brought condemnation, but God's gift of Christ brought justification. But then thirdly, he says, death reigned through Adam, but in Christ the righteous shall reign much more. Listen to verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So he is contrasting here, saying that death reigned through Adam, but in Christ the righteous reigns even much more. Now, those are the contrasts, then, between the first Adam and Jesus Christ, the last Adam. But Paul next goes on to describe the comparisons of these two acts in verses 18 through 21. 
Adam, Paul very clearly says, was a type of Jesus Christ. But now, in going on with the contrast, he moves into an area of comparisons of these two tremendous acts, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are found in verses 18 to 21. First, Paul says, Adam's disobedience brought condemnation, but Christ's obedience brought life. Listen to verse 18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. So Adam's disobedience brought condemnation, but Christ's obedience brought life. But second, Paul says, Adam's disobedience made many sinners. However, Christ's obedience made many righteous. Verse 19, For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, many will be made righteous. Adam's disobedience made many sinners. Christ's obedience, on the other hand, made many righteous. But third, Paul says, where sin increases, grace increases even much more. Verse 20, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. But fourth, Paul says, whereas Adam brought sin and death, Christ brings righteousness and life. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace was reigned through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, these comparisons and contrasts sets the stage for the apostle to explain in detail the core significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for those who place faith alone in him alone as the basis for their salvation. He takes the next two chapters chapters 6 and 7 of the book of Romans, to explain in detail how the believer, by virtue of his or her complete identification with Jesus Christ, is actually born again into an inherent position to have victory over sin in their everyday life and experience. Now listen carefully, friends, because this, in effect, is the message of the combined events of Good Friday and Easter the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here it is. The believer can live a victorious life over the power of sin because they are completely identified with the person and work of Jesus Christ, especially in his death and resurrection. What a glorious truth this is. Truly we can cry today, Hallelujah! What a Savior! But now having just emphatically stated that where sin abounds great grace abounds much more to show that God's grace is able to save anyone regardless of their past or present condition, the apostle proceeds to answer an anticipated question from those who do not understand the grace of God in order to show that a true believer cannot make a conscious decision to continue living a sinful life because of the simple but profound fact that the believer in Christ is dead to such a lifestyle. Because not only has Christ delivered us from the penalty of sin by his death, but he has also delivered us from the power of sin by his resurrection. 
Paul insists that we must know and apply these blessed truths. He begins by explaining the necessity of knowing the significance of the death of Christ as it relates to the believer in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 6, in which he says, We share in Christ's death positionally, because his death to sin and the power of sin is also our death to sin and the power of sin. Listen to his words as he states this profound truth in verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? My friends, this is a revolutionary statement if there ever was one. God regards the believer as being dead to the penalty and power of sin. And it is impossible, therefore, the Apostle Paul argues, for a genuine believer in Christ to go on practicing sin in his life, not even if it were to magnify the grace of God. That will be denying the power of the resurrection. The two concepts are diametrically opposed to each other. God's grace never allows or enables a person to go on living in a sinful state or practicing a sinful lifestyle. And Paul says the reason why this is so is because the believer is dead to the influence, the control, and power of sin in his or her life because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is illustrated in the story in a small way as told by a friend of a pastor who was having an ongoing problem with one of his deacons by the name of Joe. Joe was a thorn in the pastor's side for many years. Then the friend noticed that his pastor suddenly stopped being bothered by his adversary, Joe. And so after a while, he asked the pastor what had happened. The pastor replied, I died to Joe some time ago. Now he cannot bother me anymore. My friends, that's exactly how the believer is to respond to sin in his or her life, by not responding to it. How shall we, who have died to sin, live in sin any longer? The combined effects of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ place the believer in an inherent position in Christ to live a victorious life over sin in his daily life. That's why we say Good Friday and Easter, they go together like horse and carriage, and you can't have one without the other or put the carriage before the horse. There can be no resurrection, and was not, unless there is death, and in fact, in the experience of Christ, there was death. Jesus died and rose again for our justification. Hallelujah! What a glorious Savior! As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, 
a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. Happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every morning for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. in a moment Jesus Christ could come again